Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. I want to invite you to turn with me in your scriptures. Hopefully you have a copy of a Bible. If you don't, I invite you to pick one up on your way out uh, or pull one up on your phone. We have scriptures available back there. Actually, if you don't have one right now, you can go get one right now and uh, keep it as your own if you don't have a copy of God's Word. One of the things we want to do each Sunday, every time we gather, is we want to open the scriptures because it's in them that God reveals himself to us. It's in them that God teaches us who he is and gives us wisdom and guidance and direction for life. And we're going to be looking at the book of Genesis over the next couple weeks, looking at who God is and who we are in light of that. And so we're going to be looking at um, this phrase today that we find in Genesis chapter 1, in the image of God, he made them. In the image of God, he made them. Now, image is a very important word for us to understand. Uh, it's an important word in the scripture, and throughout the next couple of weeks, we're going to be studying these early chapters of Genesis to, to, to look at these fundamental teachings about the identity of who God is and who we are made in, him, made in his image. And, and there's a lot of reasons why image matters. It matters because how we look at image, how we look at who we are, and who we've been fashioned after, namely God, it, it directly affects to how we relate to God and to other people. And so just for a moment, let's do a year in review, if we could. Uh, some challenging things from the past year. You can probably name a lot of them. Life and healthcare issues, right? Racial issues, political issues, differences at work and at school, tensions within families, for many, an, an increase in, 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 I can't even say the word, in anxiety, in depression, thoughts of self-harm. We, we, we live in a world where we desperately need to reclaim the image of God in our life. And that's why we're going to be studying Genesis over the next couple of weeks. And, and, and no matter where you come down on, on these issues, no matter where you find yourself today, one observation that I, th I think is really helpful for us is that a proper understanding of, of our image affects how we look at ourselves, how we look at one another, and it affects how we look at God and how we live in light of that. And so uh, just as we uh, enter into this time together, I, I want you to <laughs> invite you to stand with me one more time. Um, Going up and down this morning, it's a good workout for us. But here's why. It's because we're going to recite words of Scripture this morning. I always like to stand as we recite words of Scripture. We stand in honor of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so I want to, to invite you to say these words after me. We're going to say the Shema together. So repeat these words after me. And I'm taking this from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and from Leviticus 19, as Jesus did when he's asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? He responds with, Hear, O Israel, hear, o Israel. The, Lord is our God. the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. 
Thank you. Hear these, the words of the Lord from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And God's word from Psalm chapter 8, which begins, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea. All that swim the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how magnificent is your name in all the earth. God, restore to us again as we open your word today. A right picture of who you are and a right picture of who we are, having been made and fashioned intentionally with purpose in your image and in your likeness. God, I pray that your spirit would speak to us this morning. Pray that you would lead and guide us into all truth, that we might walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received as your children. This we pray together in the name of Jesus, we say, amen. Please be seated. All right, so we're talking about image today. Genesis chapter 1, a very foundational chapter, very foundational book for all of Scripture. It's the first book in the Hebrew Bible. It's the first book of all the Scripture, both the the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the beginning, it says in verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. And in verse 26, we find the phrase that we read, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. One of the things I want you to see as we begin this is that God is set apart from all of creation. God is set apart from all of creation. And the reason he is set apart is because he created everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that verse 1 is, is kind of like a summative statement for the whole, for the whole chapter there. And, and in the verses following, so it makes a summative statement that God created. In other words, God is Lord of his creation. God is ruler over his creation. It is through God that all things were made that we can see. And then he goes to describe what happens on different days. There was evening and there was morning is how these are are separated. And in day one, we find in the first few verses there up to verse five, it says that light and darkness were separated, are separated. And God, God creates order from the chaos that existed. In verse 2, waters and sky are separated. In, in not verse 2, on day 2. On day 3, land separated from low waters and plants are created. In day 4, there are luminaries created and placed into space to, to give signs and seasons to life. In day 5, we have water, we have animals, and we have flying animals all created in one act. 
That was quite a day. Um, in day six, on day six, we have land animals that are created. And then we have man and woman who are not termed animal here. That's, that's important to note. But, but we have man and woman who are created. So day six was an important day as well. And on day seven, we have what's called Shabbat, a ceasing. A ceasing. God rested from his work. He rested from that creative um, endeavor. And Genesis 1 is a summary of God's accounting of creation. I said Genesis verse 1, verse 1 is a summary. And the following verses that we find in the chapter that detail all this reveal those things. One writer writes, they reveal those things that relate specifically to his love and his plan for man. So when we open up Genesis, what we find is that pretty quickly God is dealing with humans. He's dealing with the, the creation that he created. And so what God gives us in chapter 1 is, is, an, is an somewhat ordered account of what he created in order to make it possible for man to function. Because what we're going to find, if you were to continue reading through Genesis, you find that by Genesis chapter 1, in the end, he's created man. In Genesis chapter 2, he's working with Adam Adam and Eve. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall. And then we have the story of God redeeming his creation. And he does that through people. You know, he ultimately does that through his son. But he begins this process of, of making covenants with people. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob consist of Genesis chapter 12 through the end. And so part of what Genesis gives us here is, of course, some details to how the world was created, but in the context of particularly of how he deals with mankind and what he is providing for his love and his plan for mankind in this world. See, God created humankind distinctly different than the rest of creation. In Genesis 1.26, he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let us make man. This is different than the rest of creation. In all the rest of creation, God separates this and God speaks and there's this. We, we know from other passages in the Bible that, that, that God created everything out of nothing, that there was a time in which this world didn't exist and God still existed because God is eternal. Uh, but he says, let us make man in our image. And, and he uses this word here, us, our. We said this morning, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. The word for alone there is the Hebrew word for one, or the Hebrew word for alone, depending on the context. It's actually, if you're teaching someone how to count in Hebrew, you begin with that word, echad, one. But here he says, let us make man in our image. Though scripture describes God as one, here is what may be termed, according to the Moody Bible Commentary, a mysterious plural aspect to God's essence. And it's interesting because uh, even as there is a mysterious plural aspect to God's essence, it's somewhat similar, not the same, but it's somewhat similar to his creation of man and woman. He, he creates them and he creates them to live in covenant relationship, also known as marriage, uh, and the result is that man and woman become one flesh. Same word is used there for one. They become one flesh. Mankind, human, humankind, is distinctly different from the rest of creation. And yet God gives humankind a special capacity 
that is different from the rest of this created world, and it is this. It is the ability to relate spiritually and emotionally to their creator. The ability to relate spiritually and emotionally to their creator. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it talks about how God breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and that man became a living being. That God imparted a soul into mankind. The capacity for relationship is something that God gave to us. And a proper ordering of that relationship is first a relationship with him. He, he didn't say, let me create you for the ability to have a relationship and then I want nothing to do with you. He created humankind to have a relationship because he desperately wanted to have a relationship with us. That's the kind of God who created this world. That is the God who created this world. And so we find... Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So, so we have a picture of kind of who God is just even by looking around at the world God has made and, and being made in his image. But what does it mean to be an image bearer? What, what, what's that picture look like? The, the word image in Hebrew um, means this. It means likeness. It means image. It means that that. We're to act as God's viceroy or his representative or his witness among the creatures. We, we are to represent who God is. We are, we are to um, steward what God has given us to do. I like how uh, one of my professors, Dr. Russ Meek, whom, whom some of you met back uh, in the last season as we studied Ecclesiastes, he writes this about the word image. He says, in the world where the Old Testament was written, this word image referred to little statues that kings would fashion that looked like them. And they would set them up around their kingdom. They were placed at the very edges of the kingdom as boundary markers to show that the land the image was on belonged to the king. These statues were also placed in other spots around the kingdom, all with the intention of showing the people that the king was, well, the king. They reminded the king's subjects who their Lord was. So when it says that we are made in the image of God, it's not that just we reflect who God is. It's, it's that we are to be people who in our reflecting who God is, remind one another who the real king is. So, so there's definitely a, a, um, a respect for the God who is far above us. Genesis 1 describes God's perfect creation in the beginning. It describes how God intended humankind to be his witness to his identity, to his character, and to his purposes as the true and rightful king. That's what it means to be an image bearer. Being made in God's image means that man and woman are created to be reminded who their king is and to remind the kingdom the identity of its rightful owner. That's what it means to be an image bearer. And in verse 126 of Genesis, part of this responsibility is a faithful and just stewardship of God's creation and to be about the king's business at all times. It says, um, they will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, the creatures that crawl on the earth. 
That's part of being made in God's image. It's to have stewardship, not to have dominion in the sense of exacting what we want, but to care for God's creation according to God's ordered intent. And one of the things to note here is it says in verse 27, so God created man or humankind, you could translate it there, it's the general word for man, in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. All right? The reason he says he created the male and female is because both men and women are part of the image of God. They are. It's not that men have it and women don't. It's not that women have it and men don't. It's that both are important to bearing God's image rightly in this world. This image is given to both of them, and they were called to steward God's creation within a proper ordered, content, ordered intent from their creator. And so even in the beginning, he gives certain responsibilities to Adam. He gives other things to Eve. And we find, as Genesis 3 happens, we find that the brokenness that our world exists in part comes, and one of the effects of it is that there's a broken down um, interaction with relationships between men and women. And that's one of the reasons why we have so much chaos sometimes today is because we have replaced God's ordered intent with what seems to be right in our own eyes. God values men and women equally because both are image bearers and together they represent more fully who he is. But within that, he gives them ordered intent for each of their roles. And so we face a whole bunch of things today. Um, we, we face a whole bunch of issues in our world um, from racism, from conversations regarding socialism and capitalism, from cancel culture, cancel culture white privilege, um, defunding of police, all these things we found over the last year within our news headlines. But foundational to a lot of these societal issues that we face and so many more is having a proper grounding in what it means to be image bearers of God in a world that is now broken by sin. Foundational to understanding who we are in Christ is understanding that God designed us to walk with him. From the beginning, his original intention expressed in the garden was that I want you to have a right relationship with me, God says, so that you don't experience shame in the slightest, so that you, that you walk in the beauty of who I have created you to be with me as your God. No guilt, no shame, but our perfect fellowship with God has become broken and marred because of the idolatry that we pursue as individuals, because of our own ends that we pursue as human beings. And so we have to ask the question, what now? What, what do we do in going about trying to reconstruct a proper image of who we are and who God is? And one of the ways I want to address that, there's probably many that we could pursue, is through Psalm 8. So would you please turn with me to Psalm 8? You've already heard it this morning. But what I love about Psalm 8 is it holds two really important things in tension. It holds intention who God is, and it never lessens who God is, but it also properly places mankind 
in our rightful role. See, sometimes we have this ability to make much of ourselves. Sometimes we have this ability and, and this choice to really demean ourselves. And the balance is knowing who we are in Christ. We sang it this morning. Um, if the son sets, whom the son sets free is free indeed, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. There's important truth for us in a song like that to be reminded about who God has made it us to be. And Psalm 8 begins with this. O Lord, our Lord, or Yahweh, our Lord, the divine name is used there. How magnificent is your name throughout the earth. The psalmist begins with, God, here's who you are. You are great. You are magnificent. And, and to say someone's name is great, it means that their reputation or their character is, is vast. You know, to, to be known for your name is to be known for who you are and what you do. And the psalmist says, God, you are great. God, you are great in all the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. Because of your adversaries, you have established a stronghold from the mouths of children's and nursing infants to silence the enemy and the avenger. At the center of all that we do must be God. Our lives, our purposes, and our praise always must go to God. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But he comes down in verse 3, and he says, When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you remember him, the son of man that you look after him? Have you ever been outside on one of those like really clear nights? when you can look up and you can see the stars and you can see the moon and you're probably not in the city anywhere and you can just see how vast the sky is. Uh, there was that, like, what do they call it? Like that, the nativity moon or something like that a couple weeks ago. Did you all see that? I think it was cloudy here. Um, Bethlehem star, that's what it was. Yeah, I think it was cloudy here. I don't, I don't remember seeing it, but I remember seeing the moon and some of those luminaries around that time. And every time I begin to look at the heavens, it really takes my breath away. I, I remember being out in Montana, Montana several years ago, uh, visiting Dale and Jill Stewart. And to be out in big sky country, where you look at this one side, and then you look over to this side, and like shooting stars are about as uh, frequent as you've ever seen. I think we counted over 20 one night. Your mind, your heart just becomes, at least mind just becomes overwhelmed by, wow. But he says, when I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is man that you remember him? Yeah, because to look up at the sky is to be in awe. In awe of something that I can't fully explain. In awe of something that is much far beyond me. But he says this. He says in verse 5, You made him a little less than God, or you crowned him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You could translate it. And you crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler or Lord, lowercase l, over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. In other words, all, all the things that God has made, he has put under the feet of man to steward and cared for. And one of the things that that should tell us is that God puts a lot of trust in the people he has made. A lot of trust. 
And it means that we have an important role to play within God's creation. You put everything under his feet. Verse 7, all the sheep and the oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. And he ends with this. O Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name through all the earth. See, one of the things that happens, at least in my life, I would imagine it happens in your life as well, is that instead of God always being the center and the purpose and the praise of my existence, uh, we too easily become focused on ourselves, our situation, and what we do is we make idols for ourselves. Idols that reflect money, jobs, people, pleasures, But what happens when we have an idol, or what an idol is, is this. It's anything that replaces God in our life. Anything that removes God from the number one spot in our hearts and in our lives and lowers God and inserts self above that. So on the one hand, we we create a lot of idols. We, We make a lot of things more important than God. On the other hand, one of the things that we can do is we can easily demean ourselves. We, we can believe that we have no purpose or no plan or no reason to live. But Scripture says otherwise. Scripture says that God created us with intention and with purpose. So much so that he created us in his image and he created us for a reason. To bear his name in this world to be his image bearer, to, to, to allow when people see us, that they go, wow, we serve a good God. Not, wow, look at what they do. Look at who they are. Look at how many likes they have on whatever social media thing you're on. God created us to be people whom when others look at us and when we interact with people, people are overwhelmed by how good and how great God is. God created you and I with the intention and the purpose to declare to the world that he is the true and rightful king. And so, how do we do this? You know, in a world that has been marred by sin, how do we do this? One of the answers to that question, I I like how the writer of James, likely the brother of Jesus, um, writes this. He says, humble yourself before God. And let God exalt you. Let God be the one to lift you up. Let God be the one to give you your value, your dignity, and your worth. I think it's part of what James means here. Let God be the one to declare, here's who you are. Now go walk in a manner that I have called you to live. Go walk as a faithful follower of me, regardless of your circumstance. This is hard for us sometimes. It's hard for us to humble ourselves. Um, and what happens when we don't humble ourselves is oftentimes we are humbled. I, I remember a, uh, a time when we were flying somewhere. And, and we were, I don't remember where we were going, but we were way, way back towards the back, uh, I think over one of the wings. And we, we had some seats there. And we'd been seated first because we're back in coach. You know, we're, we're back there. We have all of our luggage stored. And um, as we are getting ready to, you know, finish up the boarding process, there's a gentleman who comes forward and he's like, um, you're in my seat. And I went, I'm, pull out, I'm finding my ticket, just trying to figure out. I'm like, I thought I was in the right seat. I look at my ticket. I look at the number. I'm like, this is my seat. He's like, no, that's my seat. He was very insistent because he really wanted his seat. He really wanted the seat. He cared for it deeply. 
what happened was we had seat tickets with this, with that, that were the same. We, we had the same seat uh, assignments. And so he, he was very insistent upon having the seat, which was fine. We just didn't know where else to go. So he calls over a flight attendant and, and he very um, not kindly asked her to please remove us from the seat that he so desperately wanted to sit in. And so she looks at it. She handled it like a pro, because uh, she was a pro. Um, she looked at it. She's like, I'll be right back. So she goes over to her little kiosk area, where, wherever it was up near the front. She comes back, and she has new, two new tickets. And she goes, all right, uh, he wants the seat. Why don't you two come with me? We'll reassign you. And we're like, whatever. We're totally cool with wherever. Like, if we could sit together, that'd be great. So we stand up, and she's like, follow me. And she heads towards the front of the plane. Now, if you, if you, you know, usually you go to the front of the plane when you're getting ready to get off the plane. There's one other time you might go towards the front of the plane, and that is when you're being moved. And so as we're moving that way, we're going, what's going on here? And, and she's like, we're going to move you up into business first class. <laughs> and so in the course of this, my wife and I got bumped up to the next level. And all of a sudden, this gentleman who desperately wanted his seat said, you know, it's, it's okay. They can stay there, you know, because we're still like gathering our stuff. And he's like, you guys can stay there. And she goes, no, sir, I'm sorry. You wanted your seat. <laughs> and we went, yes. <laughs> you know, like under, underneath the, the selfish chair, he's going, Yes, there's better snacks up there or something like that. More, more leg room. My, my point is this. We often want to create our own worth and our identity. We want what we want when we want it. But it never works. Never works. Because what we receive is always much less than what God wants to give us. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Let God lift you up. Let God exalt you. Let, let God speak to you who you and I are. And in doing so, in doing so, God gives us exactly what we need. Allow God to be the one to tell you who you are. Make God your number one priority in your whole life. Let God's word become our guiding authority. authority not our desires. And part of that means and looks like to seek to walk with God daily. See, to, to have a right view of God means to take God at his word. It means to have our minds and our hearts transformed from the lies and the idols that we create to replace God in this world to establish God rightfully as our king and to walk in light of that. So we have to have a proper view of God and of man. What, one of the things uh, with uh, having a correct view of humankind is that uh, our responsibility and our calling as followers of Jesus is to prayerfully bear witness of the king in our world. Each person, each person, Man and women has been made for a spiritual relationship with God. We've all been made for a spiritual relationship with God. Spiritual relationship with God, because it's been broken by the fall, is only restored one way, and that's coming to God through his son Jesus by faith. By believing that Jesus died and rose again 
to reconcile us or to bring us back to God, to make us right with God because our sin has been something that has separated us from God. And I love how Paul writes these words. The Apostle Paul writes these words to the church at Ephesus. when He's talking about what does it mean to have a growing spiritual relationship. So please turn with me quickly to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 17, says this. He says, Therefore, I say this, and I testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles, or as the pagans walk. The word there for Gentile is not just uh, separate from Jew. It's actually someone who is not walking with God. And the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and they gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. And, and so even in these first few verses, God or Paul is saying on behalf of God here, don't walk in this ungodly way. Those who walk in an ungodly way, they're darkened in their understanding. They, they don't have a life with God because they're bent upon this desire for more and more. In other words, they're building idols for themselves, things that they hope will satisfy them, and they've replaced their calling to be image bearers of God with being image bearers of the culture that is around them. He says this, I, lo I love how he says this in verse 20, but that is not how you learned about the Messiah, or that is not how you learned Christ, your translation might say, assuming you heard about him and you were taught by him because the truth is in Jesus. In our world today, we look for truth to come from a lot of different places. Truth is always founded in Jesus. Jesus says, he makes this very bold declaration in John chapter 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, you took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You're being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God created man in his image after his likeness. Same idea here. Created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. So what's going on here? Well, God's image gives man the capacity for relationship, both with God and one another. But because of the fall, because of our choice as humankind to, um, to choose things that God would not have us choose, to replace God as king in our life and to substitute any number of idols in his place. We've experienced a separation from God that can only be replaced through the work of Jesus. And part of this work is then to come to him by faith, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to a different way of life, a former manner of life, and is corrupt through your deceitful desires. And there's a renewing of the spirit 
of the mind that has to happen. And that can only happen through God's work in us. But to properly bear God's image in a world where God's image is increasingly um, less valued by the world means to not walk in the old manner of living, but rather to have Christ live through us. I love how he says, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. I like that because righteousness and holiness only come by God. They only come by God. God's image gives mankind the capacity for relationship, both with God and with one another. And here's how it works. The greater that we pursue a relationship with God, the more that God becomes our priority and our focus, the more it will reflect God's original intent to be as image bearers in this world. And the more we pursue God, the more we rightly value the image of God in other people. So whenever we face challenging issues like our nation has faced, we must always go back to the simple truth. Do I have a right image of God? Do, do I properly understand who God is and who God has made each one of us to be as his image bearers? It means that when we look at our spouse or we look at our family, we look at our friends, we look at our teacher, we look at our boss, that person is someone whom God created to be his image bearer. God wants us to reflect his original intent to say God is king. And as we do so, to invite people into that same declaration. As we begin 2021, just have a couple of questions for us. The first one is this. Are you a follower of Jesus today? Do you believe that truth is found in him alone? Do you believe that he died and he rose again to make you right with God? Have you committed your life to be his disciple? If you haven't, I, I want to invite you into that today. I want, you to, I want to invite you to receive the grace that so many of us here have received. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And as part of that everlasting life means a restoration of the image and the likeness of God in our lives. At the beginning of 2021, I invite you into this commitment. And that's this, to faithfully follow Jesus. Would you repeat those three words with me? Faithfully follow Jesus. Those are three packed words. Because we live in a world that doesn't often like Jesus and that looks at his followers as being people who just sometimes don't make sense to them, sometimes who are completely antithetical to the cause. Uh, in fact, Jesus told his disciples, you will be hated in the world because of me. But he tells them, follow me. And to follow Jesus means to every day say, God, what would you have me do? God, who would you transform me to become by your grace? At the beginning of 2021, I invite you to this commitment to faithfully follow Jesus, to allow our identity as people to be defined by him in the scriptures, 
to be his image bearers in our world, to humble ourselves before him in wonder and in worship, to recognize the image stamped upon each person, and to offer to them the hope of restoration that we have experienced in him. Friends, there's a lot of broken and hurting people in our world, and some of them know it, and some of them don't realize how broken they are. Go back to the picture of image that I started with. In a world where the Old Testament is written, the word image referred to little statues that kings would fashion that looked like them. And they would set them up around their kingdom, placed at the edges of the kingdom as boundary markers to show the land that the image was on belonged to the king. Friends, this world belongs to the king. He is in the process of redeeming and restoring it, but the, Lord, the land belongs to the king. These statues were also placed in other spots around the kingdom, all with the intention of showing the people that the king was well, he was the king. And they reminded the king's subjects who their rightful Lord was. That's our call as image bearers for God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for creating us with intention and with purpose. I thank you for creating us in order to have a relationship with you. And God, though that relationship has been broken in, in many ways by sin, I thank you for Jesus who comes to this earth to restore our fellowship with you. And as we come to Jesus by faith today, Father, we recognize you are the king. We recognize that you care for us. We recognize that you have important things for our lives to be gathered around. So God, forgive us for thinking too highly of ourselves many times. God, grant us a humility that trusts you God, forgive us for not thinking high enough of ourselves sometimes. And, and by doing so, we demean the image that you have created us in. God, as we look around us and we see this world, each person is a person for whom Jesus died. Break our hearts again, God, for those who are far from you. Stir within us a prayerful spirit for those who are asking these very important spiritual questions. Lord, help us to engage with the hearts and the minds of our friends and our loved ones and our neighbors who, who are without hope and without God. God, may you use us to share powerfully and passionately the King whom we worship, and the hope that is found in him alone. We thank you and we bless you in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, and our Redeemer. And together we say, amen. I want to invite our worship team to come up right now. Uh, we're going to celebrate communion together. And it's fitting that we celebrate communion together because one of the things that we find out about Jesus' life is that he came to serve and not to be served. 
The picture of him coming to this earth was one, is one that reminds us of his passion to restore us to himself. And every time we take communion together, we are reminding ourselves of this work of Christ and we are again re reminding and recommitting ourselves to be his image bearers on this world, in this world, and to lower ourselves so that we might be ones who serve the people and the world God has created well. And so as we come to celebrate communion, this is for followers of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I invite you, uh, as you are able to, throughout the course of this next song, to come up and to receive the elements. I encourage you, if you've got a couple people with you uh, who are going to be partaking, uh, send one representative from your group if you're here in the room with us. Um, the cups are double stacked, um, juice on top, bread on bottom. So grab one stack of cups for each person. Take it back to your seat, and we will take it together as a church family, both here in person and online. So if you're at home, you want to grab... Um, some bread and some, some grape juice. I invite you to do that as we celebrate um, the breaking of Christ's body in a metaphorical way and the shedding of Christ's blood to pay for our sins this morning.